Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we're, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Today we have Los Angeles-based Old West Investment Management on the line. The firm is represented uh, by Brian Lax, Portfolio Manager and Partner of Old West. Old West is an organization that is adhering to the code of the West. Brian, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, Brian, so give us an overview of the firm, uh, the funds under management, your background, and the routine stuff. Yeah, so uh, Old West, we've been around for just over 10 years now. Uh, we have about $200 million in assets under management uh, across a few different strategies. We have three partnerships, um, uh, kind of a, one's a typical long short, one's more income focused, and then another one is the one that we recently launched, which is the uranium focused fund. Uh, and then we have a few other uh, long only strategies. And so I would say the assets are probably split half and half across those two buckets. And then my background, uh, I joined here a little over two years ago. I uh, came from a finance background, uh, MBA, CFA, uh, worked as an energy analyst for a few years covering um, you know, mainly oil and gas exploration and production. And then when I joined here, uh, you know, it was more of a generalist role. We're uh, pretty small, just, I think, you know, five or six people. So got to wear a lot of hats. But at the same time, we have a a pretty significant value orientation. So, you know, a lot of the things that uh, haven't gone up or, you know, we kind of look for these contrarian areas, uh, that was a lot of commodities, natural resource. So kind of my experience came in handy. Um, And then, you know, we've followed uranium for a while uh, and then made kind of more of a a bigger push into it recently with this, with this new fund. Okay. And and tell us about the founders. Uh, Give us some information on them. Yeah. So um, uh, the Boscoviches, they, the family is, um, was originally in farming, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, came here. Uh, my boss, the CIO, he, you know, worked in the family business for a while. And then maybe 30 years ago or so kind of made the transition into, into finance. He, I guess the story he likes to tell is he was on the, he was on the board of a bank, I think, or he worked for a bank where he saw the you know, chairman or one of the you know the management buying a bunch of stock every quarter, and he said, "Hey, you know, can I buy some stock too?" And so they were, you know, kind of started buying the stock, and eventually, um, you know, the company ended up getting sold. And so our, uh, you know, one of our big philosophies is watching insiders. You know, do they have skin in the game? Are they are they buying their own stock uh, as a good indicator for um, potential investments. And so that sort of experience resonated with him and kind of carried over into his investment philosophy. And then around that time, I think he joined up with uh, uh, one of his um, colleagues, uh, I think maybe it was his broker, and they they, they started a firm called, uh, or joined a firm called Alethea, 
which was um, another sort of value-focused investment shop uh, that had really good growth for a number of years. At, at that time, uh, his son came on board. Uh, they did very well in terms of asset growth, and then I think they had a little falling out. And so uh, he ended up um, starting this firm uh, kind of right around 2008, um, went with you know, kind of bootstrapped. I think we started with 10 or 20 million and just had uh, pretty good steady growth uh, since then to kind of the 200 million level where we are today. So like I said, the kind of philosophy has always been a heavy focus on the people involved, uh, you know, insider ownership, are there smart investors involved? And then looking at, you know, insider buys and sells uh, as sort of a, you know, more unique starting screen for for sourcing investment ideas. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, what are what are some of the the trends that Old West sees in the markets today? Well, um, you know, I guess one of the things that uh, well we've I guess struggled with is you know uh, being a value fund up up until a few months ago at least in a in a market that just seemed to go up and up all day. Uh, or every day, you know, with a handful of names leading the way, the you know, the FANG stocks and the whole sort of shift to passive investing and how uh, just in general, most uh, value-oriented investment philosophies uh, have have lagged behind. And so we kind of grapple with that um, constantly. Uh, it seems, you know, maybe we're starting to see a little shift there with, with the volatility of the last few months. But really, I mean, we're uh, kind of just call it deep value guys. Uh, I actually got a, a little bit of a chuckle listening to the interview uh, you did with Mike Alkin, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, where you talked about some of the areas you're looking at. And it was very, very similar to, to the ones we look at, which are ones that are, you know, deeply out of favor. Uh, sentiment is poor, um, you know, valuations are depressed, and yet there's some sort of catalyst on the horizon where where you'd expect uh, the fundamentals to improve. And if you're patient, uh, you can you can probably make a a good return just by you know kind of holding your nose and and buying these things. And so you know a lot of these areas are what we find in our portfolio today. Um, you know, some of the natural resources, commodities, energy, stuff that hasn't really participated in the, you know, 10-year bull market that we've had since since 08. Right. Yeah, no, it's, you got to have a, a tough stomach to uh, to look at some of this stuff and, and uh, you got to be able to fight, fight the, uh, you know, the urge to constantly do something and and also at the same time for you guys set, trying to satisfy your your clients uh and and convincing clients that, that this is the place to be and so it's it's difficult and for us too as a as a uh writing writing research and newsletters it's it's difficult because uh you know different clients have different expectations and different horizons and you try to uh weigh that and 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 also try to get everybody kind of on the same board and under the same thought process and kind of the the same you know stomach and the same patience and it's difficult to be able to do that and so it's it's an interesting challenge and then you know today um you know for you guys where do you guys see the big market today and where is it headed over the next 12 months 
You mean the market overall? Yes. Well, you know, I, I think uh, it's, uh, I'd be nervous if I had general market exposure. Um, you know, we're pretty concentrated into some of these areas uh, that we would hope or expect will do well uh, when some of the you know, ones that have, have really been the driving force over the last several years uh, start to give up the ghost. I mean, you know, there's been this expectation that, uh, you know, growth will eventually run out of steam and, you know, there should be this rotation to value and, you know, uh, financial assets have outperformed, uh, you know, commodities by a huge margin. Uh, you know, there might be some re mean reversion. You know, obviously that hasn't played out. Maybe you're starting to see the beginnings of it, but we are fairly cautious, um, you know, maybe to a fault. It hasn't really paid well uh, to have short exposure over the last few years, which we do uh, in our partnerships. And, and then, you know, some of our long positions are, are naturally more defensive. But, you know, you, you see on days like today or months like, um, you know, last couple months, uh, defensive positioning can can work out for you so we i guess would say you know you look at a lot of these metrics and you know maybe not just uh, you know price to earnings or, or, or some of these more naive metrics where they can be sort of uh fooled around with by company managements you know buying back stock or levering up and you know doing whatnot but um you know price to sales or you know some of these other things it, this market uh, is, it seems pretty frothy, uh, and so when we see moves like today or or yesterday or the last couple months, it, we're not necessarily surprised by it. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised if it continues, and, and we're you know quite comfortable with our positioning. You know, it seems uh, at least the last few years with just sort of the go-go momentum uh, of these stocks, we've been you know, kind of on our heels and, and defending our, our positioning to clients saying, look, this thing, uh, you know, yeah, it's nice and all you kind of just blindly buy the FANG stocks or these momentum stocks and you make a bunch of money, but you know, how long is that going to last? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to have that go on while you're have this caution that some people might think is unwarranted, but then all of a sudden you get hit with the volatility of this year and, now people are like, oh, hey, maybe there was maybe there was something to that. So, yeah, we we see what's going on today and think, you know, this might just be the start of of something, uh, you know. So we're we're pretty happy with uh, not having changed our our philosophy and how we approach this because we think, you know, eventually we'll be rewarded. And you know, thankfully, our our client base is mostly you know high net worth, sort of sticky money that that is they're patient. They, they're more invested in the, they understand the process. They understand the philosophy. They know that these things go in waves. You know, sometimes the pendulum swings pretty far to one end, but eventually, you know, sort of traditional valuation metrics should, should win the day. And so as long as they understand that they're, they're willing to let these sort of extremes play out and, you know, over the long run, we should do very well. Right. No, and it's, it's interesting how, uh, January, uh, February 2018 this year, the lows, the lows that were there and the kind of the three tests, if you go back to look at the S&P chart, um, kind of the three tests that were that played out uh, in those in that time frame. And then the six months, you know, starting around March or I guess April, 
the six months it took to reach a new high and then a breakdown where we are now um, and then yet today a third test potentially and I see it reverse quite quite differently today but a third test was it was in play earlier today where you have uh, you know testing is it going to break is it going to break and then head down to the to the February lows so it's interesting to see how this will kind of play out going forward and and it does make sense to be cautious uh, certainly to have insurances in place uh, like we've discussed before and, and I've, I've mentioned a few times in the last uh, couple months um, you know it doesn't hurt to be you know the shorts and the insurances yeah they don't they're not paying off right now but uh, you know what when things really go down and, the, and kind of the rug gets jerked out um, it uh, it will start to pay off quite nicely and um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how the next 12 months goes and you know continue to raise keep and keep cash so um so moving on so uh you guys spend a good amount of time in the people's republic of california what do you think mm -hmm. of the energy policy of the state and do you see california in kind of a declining state of affairs or is the best days still yet to come uh you know i'm not that optimistic about it i think we sort of have resigned ourselves to accept it and uh we rather think okay how do we you know how do we deal with it uh you know instead of trying to hope for a better day think let's just say this is sort of the baseline and you know if it gets better great but let's let's not pin our hopes on on something improving dramatically so uh yeah i think uh, it's it's kind of a i don't know if shame is the right word but it's it's troubling that this, that's the way it goes here but you know that's the way it goes here so we just sort of deal with it right right okay well i thought i'd throw that one in there um so uh back to the back to the big market stuff um can you give can you give the listeners a uh an example or even a name of how you guys might or just a strategy how you guys might employ you know your hedge on the downside a short or an insurance uh, type strategy uh sure well we actually had a, a really successful one earlier this year um you know over the last year or so we've grappled with how to best uh you know prepare ourselves for an environment like this uh you know do we do single name shorts uh you know specific companies are we short uh you know sectors etfs you know kind of the whole the broad indices uh should we use puts uh you know and then if if so you know what how far out in terms of strike or expiration so we've been kind of going through all these iterations uh you know most of our shorts have been single name historically um uh, we started looking more uh at options last year uh you know i had some experience with it in the past they hadn't done much of that here uh, before i had um, arrived but, you know, it was one sort of, we were just trying to see what's the best bang for our buck. And, you know, after the market rising, you know, continually, what's what's going to have sort of the lowest carrying cost, right? I mean, it's it's nice to have shorts, but if as the market just rises nonstop, uh, it really is a significant drag. And so we started looking at um, potentially using more options for our short exposure because we could you know, minimize our, our capital at risk. We could potentially enhance the return profile if we were right. 
and so, you know, we thought, okay, well, how is the best, where's the best place to apply this? And, you know, at the time, even with volatility low, um, we, it was still pretty expensive to, to hedge uh, just the general market decline, you know, buying S&P puts or, you know, puts on the queues if you wanted to take a, take a view against the tech stocks, which had really driven the market. So, you know, and not only that, you know, instead of trying to just say, okay, I think the thing is going to turn, you're also now saying, well, you know, how much is it going to go and, and how long does it take? So there's a few other dimensions to that that made it more difficult. And so, you know, as we're watching this and noodling through all this stuff, uh, you know, the market keeps going, you know, higher and higher volatility uh, got lower and lower. I mean, at one point, I think it was single digits at the end of last year, beginning of this year. So one of the ways that we uh, expressed uh, or, you know, expressed our a view of, you know, how to hedge ourselves sort of, you know, what, what was the most bang for the buck? We were looking for these sort of asymmetric payoffs and, you know, what we narrowed into, there was a lot of good work being done kind of end of last year on, uh, these volatility products, you know, especially these inverse ETFs, how much money was flowing into them, this feedback loop that was going on where, you know, uh, retail guys would flood in and they'd put this money in this thing because it had gone up, you know, five or seven times. And that fund would then short volatility via the futures. And it was, you know, that would drive the price down. It would drive the ETF up. And it was, you know, this, this feedback loop. And so we realized, I mean, especially as volatility got lower and lower that, uh, you know, that sort of dynamic could reverse itself pretty quickly if there was any sort of shock to the market. And the lower that volatility went, that that spring just coiled tighter and tighter. So we had a, you know, and it wasn't ours alone. I mean, there were some pretty good guys doing work on this. Uh, You know, Artemis Capital was one of them. Um, uh, They, you know, just... I think Morgan Stanley had some good reports on on this this VIX dynamic. So we, um, you know, were able to buy some of these, uh, you know, really cheap out of the money puts on on the those VIX those inverse uh, volatility ETFs. I mean, they were just people were just giving them away. I guess people didn't think or imagine that the market could ever go down. This was kind of maybe December, January timeframe where, you know, the market was just ticking up every day by a little bit, you know, you got really, really low volatility. So uh, for us, it was like, well, you know, the the lower this thing goes in terms of volatility, the higher the market goes steadily, uh, the less or the lower the threshold was uh, for there, you know, any sort of dislocation in the market to just trigger a huge unwind. I mean, if you think about it, when the VIX was at eight, right. And historically, uh, would trade at 20. Well, uh, you know, if the VIX were to double, uh, you'd still be below historical levels of volatility. And, you know, back in, uh, you know, distress times, I mean, it would spike to 40 or 50 or even higher. So we thought, well, you know, if this, if you have even a minor sort of uh, dislocation in the market, these things would easily double. Um, and if that's the case, well, you know, these, those products would blow up. And sure enough, uh, in February, that's just what we had. So we had some puts that paid off. I think it was over 100 to one. And so we've had a pretty good year in in some of the funds that have had those. But that's just an example of, you know, thinking of what you're trying to accomplish, spending time on it, and then 
trying to find what is the best way to express that view, or at least how do you get paid the most if that view you have does come to pass. Right. And what was the term on the puts? How, well, how long? So we were we were just going one month out, and then and then I think we only had to roll them, you know, a couple of times uh, because we realized that you know, unlike a, you know, going you know taking a short view on some company where maybe you want a longer term because you're trying to accumulate downside that you know grows over time as a as a stock sells off, we realized that you know this was going to be a one day event if it happened uh, because. Um, you know, the lower that volatility went, uh, the more likely it was that any sort of small move caused that caused those things to unwind. So we thought if this thing plays out, it's going to play out as a single event. So there's no real reason to have a long, you know, a long term to expiration. It's better just to say, hey, we don't need to buy all that time premium. We, we know that. So we would usually do it about a month out. Um, and then, you know, if... Uh, actually, what's funny is our our CIO was a little upset, I think, because it happened on the 4th or 5th of February. And, you know, the January ones had just expired, like maybe a, a week or two earlier. And we had right. sort of doubled the exposure. It was kind of overlapped. So it would have been a, a really big day uh, <laughs> had it happened a week earlier. But, you know, I think right. it, it was a really, um, you know, and that, that sort of thing doesn't happen all the time. So maybe that's an unusual thing, but I just use that as an example of, you know, we, that, you know, maybe played out over a few months, but we'd been looking at it for a long time, thinking about this, how do you get this exposure? What's the best way to do this? And so that sort of continual, uh, you know, sharpening of the sword and trying to figure out how to, how to, how to best take advantage of something that happens. And, you know, then you get that sort of windfall uh, at the end. So, so what's one what's one now that you guys you guys might have in place, uh, you know, as on the short insurance side? Well, so um, we do it more in this new fund. Uh, it's sort of on, especially on um, on the puts, uh, because look, I think that's a preferable risk return structure. I mean, you kind of flip it on its head. Now you have a limited downside, and then potentially much greater upside. Um, right. you know, we look at all these tech names, uh, that have had these huge runs that, you know, where we don't think the fundamentals have supported that. I mean, you look at valuations are historically high. And so like on a day today, I mean, that, 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 well, at least earlier today, they've come back a little bit, but you know, that's a nice source of, uh, return when there's all this panic selling is, you know, you have, uh, you know, this, this sort of portion of your portfolio and puts, um, where you can potentially harvest that and, and, and redeploy into some of these names that are, you know, babies getting thrown out with the bathwater. But, you know, I, suffice to say, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just look at what's driven the market over the last couple of years. And so we have, a, I mean, there's probably 10 or 15 companies that we have that uh, we look at. And, you know, I hesitate to mention any names in, in, in you know, case the these CEOs don't like having their companies bet against, but you can probably get an idea. Uh, I, I think you've talked about some in the past, even, but um, in some of your other interviews. But you know, you, suffice to say, uh, stocks that have gone up a, a lot where the fundamentals don't support it, and now you're starting to see them uh, come down a bunch. And so, you know, in 
especially in October when you saw a lot of the market crack, uh, it was a lot of those names. Right. And they need to understand it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the market. There's the upside and then there's the downside. So all, all parts, all parts play in and, and, uh, you know, it, nothing goes up forever. And so they, they, they need to respect that. And, you know, with that too, is the leading stocks that have, that have happened since, you know, 2013, 2014 and onward, or maybe even before that, um, they lead to the upside and then there's a very, very solid argument that they're going to probably lead on the downside. And uh, so, and, and the, the obvious point of that is, is they're, they get overbought and then they get oversold and, uh, and that's over a long period of time. And so when you have everybody piling into these certain names, uh, you know, we, we already know what they are, the, the Googles, the Amazons, the Netflixes, the, the Teslas and, and so mm-hmm. forth, there's others. And, uh, they, they, they're naturally going to lead on the downside because that's where the most, that's where the most people are. That's where the most liquidity is. And, uh, so they're going to, they're going to get cleaned on the downside, just like, just like, uh, and much faster, uh, fashion. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, we think that that shift to the shift to passive investing that's happened has really driven a lot of that because there's so much money piling into these indices, uh, and it's all getting diverted to the, you know, they're cap weighted. So it's getting put into these big names and you know a lot of these guys that are buying retail investors that are buying you know a spider etf or you're buying some tech etf you know you're not looking at the valuations of each of these individual companies you just want exposure and so when you have this big trillion dollars of of capital getting pushed into there you know the rich are getting richer it's this feedback same sort of feedback loop of uh you know, the a dollar goes in, ten cents goes into this company. And, you know, it makes it go up, and then people are happy. Their their ETFs are going up, so they pile in more. Uh, it's that sort of indiscriminate buying um, that when, when when they start selling, I mean, it's it's just as indiscriminate, and it's going to hit those those bigger companies just as disproportionately as it did when it came in. So, you know, that's why I think the the puts um, were preferable to the shorts because you don't really know when that turn happens and so it's tough to be sitting on shorting these things and just riding them up and, and getting killed uh when you can say hey you know what i, I can get two-year exposure it's pretty cheap because volatility's low you know I'm, I'm limited to my my premium that i've paid and yet when the thing cracks you know uh maybe i give up the first five or ten percent downside but you know after that i'm i'm getting this magnifier uh, that sort of return profile really uh, seems better for us. We, we, we like that better than just going straight short. Right. And there's 2021 puts out there now. And if you get, if you get into some of the more exotic stuff, uh, if you jump over to different exchanges, I mean, there's stuff that's listed in Europe, you can get some put warrants and you can get some real other, excuse my language, evil shit that, uh, that has even more <laughs> leverage. <laughs> to uh, to some of this stuff, so it's interesting what some of these other exchanges have uh, available uh, outside of the U.S. But yeah, in the U.S., I think you can get out certainly on some of the products of 20, 2021, in some cases 2022 at this point. And uh, you know, so it's it's nice because you have a fixed price. You're in it for a fixed price, and really, if you consider the price you paid for the time, and assuming you can uh, purchase them right, be patient, and, and get good prices in the market for these things. Uh, you know, it's, it's not bad. And, and, uh, you know what, if, if you're wrong and it expires, you know, so what, that's the price of insurance you paid for. And, uh, it, exactly. did, it really did its purpose. So, um, that's kind of how we try to look at it as well. 
so so moving on um let's see uh what what pacific investment are you excited about today and and uh you know give us give us a name or the commodity or or whatever and, and why it has your interest well it's got to be uranium i <laughs> i think that's the reason for the season right i mean uh that was you know we've owned it for a while um you know or we, i guess we've watched it for a while we owned cameco across a few of our funds um which sort of seemed you know kind of the safest way to play it uh as you as we wait for the turn but uh, like we discussed earlier i think we're looking for these areas that are that are beaten up out of favor uh not necessarily in secular decline but ones where we think that something's going to change in the future and there's some sort of catalyst that's going to get us there uh and i you know i'm hard pressed to find a better area of the market than uranium because i think that it has all of those things. One, it's got the extreme uh, depressed sentiment, the depressed valuations, the, you know, the, the market's been decimated in terms of number of companies, in terms of the total total cap of the space. And yet uh, fundamentals are, are, are improving, seems to be by the day. Uh, there's a number of catalysts on the horizon. So we think it's one of the more uh, attractive areas from a, a risk reward standpoint. And look, I don't, I don't think we're alone in that. You know, you've done a lot of good interviews uh, with people who, who who think the same. Right, and and it's and it's it is highly highly attractive, and it's it's extremely unique that that particular market. I mean, it's more more unique than than in a lot of other other minerals and commodities by a long shot. It's, it's really really an interesting, unique space. The total cap, as you suggested. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what, uh, well, let's just put it this way. There's weed stocks that make up, have a bigger cap than the entire uranium mining business today. Uh, so a single weed stock outdoes the entire uranium mining business, and yet uh, the uranium mining business is, 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 whether you look at it as a positive thing or a negative thing, it's a necessary evil. And so you you have to look at the fact that these uh, these minerals do come out of the ground, they get processed, and they eventually find their way to a nuclear plant throughout the entire cycle. And we need that if we're going to charge our electric vehicle at night or our telephones or use air conditioning or or whatever we might use to enjoy modern life. So I, you know, it, it is a very interesting situation. It's something that certainly is a win question, um, and the demand and supply. Uh, situation is lining up very very nicely and so it's it really really is interesting and, and we'll we'll get into it uh, just a little bit more in a moment but let me let me change gears just a little bit so assuming the market the big market crashes out over the next two years to the tune of a 50 percent decline where would you focus your capital would you go half of the capital in uranium and the other half in mcdonald's <laughs> um well, are you talking about during or out after the crash? Well, afterwards, afterwards. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think if that were the case, uh, our portfolio of puts would do extremely well, um, and we'd be able to, you know, harvest that and and you know redeploy. And, and look, I think we have less general market exposure uh, than maybe the average person or fund we're, we're pretty concentrated in some of these areas so really it would depend on how does that 
general market crash affect the value of our holdings? And look, I, I, you know, it's tough to say, oh, you know, we're so defensive and look at these great, you know, cheap stocks that we own. They're not going to get hurt at all. You know, these things are going to get hurt. I mean, you know, look at some of the uranium names today. Uh, their markets down there, they're still getting hit. So look, cheap stocks can get cheaper. Um, that's why I think it's nice to have different portions of the portfolio that can do well in different environments. And so if, if that does come, come to pass, well, you know, there is a, a significant part of our portfolio that will do very well and that we can, you know, harvest or, you know, trim and, and then redeploy it to the areas, especially if we think it's, you know, babies getting thrown out with the bathwater because look, uh, Yes, these we think the areas that we own are are extremely cheap and and catalyst rich. And if the market happens to crash, uh, dragging some of these things down with us uh, or with it before the catalysts play out, well, we just look at it as a, as a way to accumulate more shares at a cheap level. And so, you know, at least with this with this new fund, which is a little more concentrated, I, I don't know if you're referring to our, our general funds or or, or the, the one that's more focused on on uh, resources and uranium, I think uh, we would be looking to continue to add to these these things. Because uh, personally, I, I believe that this uh, these sectors will do well. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say regardless of what the overall market does, but they'll be less correlated. Uh, they they will still probably have some downside beta to them, but I'd be happy to. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in the long-term outlooks for these things. So if, if I'm able to generate some cash during that downturn and and you know bring down my average cost of some of these things uh, in the near term, well, that's that's going to be great. Come when this eventually plays out, as we believe it does, because that's just going to increase our increase our return. So um, you know, it's I don't want to kind of uh, just wave it off and say, I don't care about a crash. I mean, obviously that's going to affect a lot of things. You know, your clients will be concerned, you know, certain stocks will, will get hit, but, uh, you know, I actually would think, Hey, uh, if, you know, take uranium, if the sector does have its own legs, uh, you know, roughly independent of what's going on in the rest of the world, because it's got its own dynamic, well, potentially you have a rotation into the space and you know it's like we said the caps what 10 billion of the whole space uh it's any sort of uh capital flow in there uh i mean you saw what happened to crypto what what's going on with the cannabis stocks you know there's a lot of people that sort of what's the next thing to go uh this seems to have some real solid dynamics supporting it so not only could you could it kind of take off on its own merits but there could be you know, a whole shift of capital that's thinking, hey, everything else is, is going to hell. Where should we hide out? Uh, how about this area that's crucial to the global economy and, and seems to have some pretty positive fundamentals behind it? So we're, we're pretty excited about the outlook for it. And uh, I mean, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, a 50% crash in the market um, would probably, you know, it'd probably hurt in a few different ways, but we have a lot of things that we think will do well in that environment. You know, we haven't really talked about precious metals, but we, we do have some good um, gold exposure. We think that's sort of long overdue, maybe uh, might be a little longer time horizon for that to play out, especially given the, the dollar strength as this, as you know, all these things start to collapse. But um, you know, we think that a number of these different areas should do well in that environment. And so, 
you know, we're not calling for a crash, but uh, we'd hope that we would do a lot better than the average Joe uh, if if it does come to pass. Right. Well, there's there's a number of points. So so give me give me a rough figure uh, percentage wise. So you got you got two funds and, and at different times throughout the throughout the time context, you know, one one fund may support the other one may do better than the other and then the other one may outperform later. So give us give us uh, right now kind of an idea of percentage wise what you guys are kind of camping out with as dry powder. Well, so I I mean, I view the put portfolio as sort of as the dry powder. Um, so I guess and I'm just referring to the 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 fund that I manage because that that one has this this sort of viewpoint. Uh, so because one i mean it's it's not necessarily cash but it's it's going to turn to cash in a in a big market downturn i mean as as it's done today even even today we were sort of moving some things around so um you know it's it's less about having this big bundle of cash and more about having what's going to what's going to be more valuable in that scenario because that then we can sort of turn that into cash and then you know check the rubble and, and see if there's anything that that we want to redeploy that into so i would say at this point uh we're maybe 10 10 ish percent in some of these puts um you know and it's uh, we've probably harvested some over the last two months uh, in the in the big market downturn but it it's still roughly around that level um you know and and i guess the other the other point to that is you know if the market does crash 50 percent what is what is the response uh not just from the market participants but you know does do they come back to QE is there some sort of regulatory thing you know you see Trump out there tweeting all the time what's he going to do you know there's enough panic already when the market drops whatever it has you know a couple thousand points uh yeah what's going to happen if if it really starts to hit the fan that that's you know I was just chatting with one of my uh, coworkers today, you know, well, this, perhaps the fact that these moves are so violent may provoke a response sooner than if this was just a steady, you know, hundred point doubt bleed, you know, every day for the next few months. So uh, I wonder if, if it does really get volatile, if you don't see some sort of, you know, people come in and try to save the day, uh, you know, and that, that was, uh, you know, speculation that a lot of people had was they were just raising the interest rates to give them ammo for the next crisis sort of thing. And so, you know, um, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what happens. And that's why we, we like our, our gold exposure. And so, you know, I, I, I've heard some people refer to gold as, as cash. Um, you know, obviously the miners don't, don't seem to respect that, that thought, but you'd think theoretically if, if there's a big, you know, flight to safety, safe haven trade, and, and gold goes up, the miners should should probably break out of their slumber, and and then that could potentially be converted to cash. But you know, our our job is to be fairly fully invested, um, and and let our clients do their own sort of allocation. Uh, they know how we're positioned, but you know, within that, we do have um, some of these defensive plays, and we do have some puts that we think can can provide us cash if stuff does get pretty rough. Right, and, and and the options certainly the the puts would certainly represent that, and you know metals uh, certainly gold would would represent that because uh, you know 
depending on what vehicle you're using, you could you could move move that and, and move it into cash if you were ready to to, to deploy into some equities uh, towards the bottom. So yeah, that and, and cash, of course. You know, and, and then the other thing too that, that people need to consider is 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 like you said, what will be the response in the natural resource sector? And and we already we're already in we're already in some of these contrarian areas that have been blowed out for for many years. And so the response may be is it is it more of a 2001, 2002 response, because uh, quite honestly, uh, uranium and, and a number of minerals and precious metals, commodities, uh, just about everything in the natural resource space did quite uh, did quite well, held held up very well during that time. And then, of course, if you look at uh, 2008, it was completely different, where you had a quick washout across the board. And then, of course, uh, the things that started to respond early on were, of course, the uh, you know, gold and, and uh, the equities and, and some of the commodities and stuff uh, responded quicker than, say, the other stuff. Um, I would just say that, you know, having having some capital available or convertible uh, towards that area where it makes sense to start buying, you know, whether it's in the or sector would, would obviously uh, represent some good sales. Uranium would represent good sales. And then for us, too, on the safer side, um, you know, there's going to be some incredible opportunities in the bond market when when this all kind of comes down and so the bond market will be very attractive uh, for those looking for you know pennies pennies on the dollar bonds with a nice coupon so you kind of get paid while yep. you wait so that that to us looks attractive it's something we're watching uh, obviously the, there's not many opportunities today but when it does come down there'll be some significant bond opportunities and then too it's kind of on the safer side the, the kind of the robust uh, end you know, when, when there's a McDonald's or a Traveler's Insurance or a, a Pfizer or, you know, some of these heavy-duty, robust global companies, the global elites, when they come down, uh, also they will. Uh, you know, those will represent a nice kind of area to, to kind of sit sit in kind of a safe area, and, and they'll kind of be stewards of your capital while you kind of wait as well. So yeah, I think yeah, well, you know, that's why you hear a lot of these good investors uh, keep uh, a significant amount of cash, um, you know, if not some of these more convertible things, they keep cash because these sorts of environments should be viewed as opportunities, right? I mean, if you're heavily levered into some of these go-go stocks and all of a sudden the market crashes 50%, well, you're probably going down with it. But if if you are cautiously positioned and, you know, you have some dry powder or some ability to get dry powder, uh, you should welcome these sorts of environments because they're giving you the opportunity to pick up pretty high quality names at bargain basement prices. And so, you know, that's why I say um, if this thing does does crash and it drags some of these areas, you know, the cheap get cheaper. Well, hey, I, I liked it when it was cheap. I'll, I'll probably like it when it was cheaper, especially if, you know, the, the fundamentals haven't deteriorated at all. And we still think some of these catalysts are going to play out. Right. So, so walk us through a couple things here. So, uh, time horizon at Old West. So, what do you guys typically look for uh, with, you know, with your? Uh, just give us maybe a couple ideas, a couple examples of time horizon. What do you guys look at? You know, looking, you know, one, two, three, five years out, and then tell us roughly. Just you don't have to give us accurate numbers, obviously, but give us a rough dollar range of, of or the percentage of deployments into these deals. So you, are you looking at position sizes of, you know, five, eight percent, ten percent, or is it more more heavy duty than that? So time horizon, capital deployed in any one position, and then give us give us an example or just run us through what the approach is of the evaluation of these opportunities. 
Sure. So, um, and you just mean in general across the funds, not necessarily the, the uranium ones? Uh, why don't you give us an example of both? Okay. Yeah. So, um, time horizon, we're, I mean, we're long-term investors. We, we hope to, to buy these companies and hold them for a long, you know, as long as the foreseeable future, let them compound, let them do their thing. And that's really why we focus a lot on the people involved, um, you know, and the, and the sort of owner operators that have skin in the game, because we think, you know, let them do their thing. Let them run. There's no, there's no reason for us really to, to trade these things. And so we will, we'll build positions over time and, and we'll just, we'll just let them go. Um, so we don't really have a sort of fixed time horizon, but we'll, um, we plan on holding for the long term. And then in terms of waiting, we run pretty concentrated. I, I think in our, in our various funds, you know, depending, uh, you know, maybe the ones that are smaller holdings will have, we'll look maybe to a, you know, three to 6% position, uh, you know, in, a, in some of the funds that have a few more names, maybe two to 3%. Um, so, you know, we'll, if they grow, we'll, we'll let them get bigger than that. Uh, we're comfortable. We have some positions that are maybe, you know, 9% ish. Um, but we don't want to have, uh, you know, we don't want to get too heavy in one name because there's always, you know, the black swan type events that, that come out. Um, and that can hit you when, you know, the fundamentals otherwise are, are still good. So, um, you know, I guess for, for specific names, I mean, there's, a, I guess, a few different ways, a few different um, investment theses we have or, or sort of style of investments. Some are just your typical, hey, high return on capital, uh, trading at a discount for some reason. Um, and, you know, we'll get involved where we think things are improving and we, and we like the management. I mean, I can walk you through a few or, you know, one or two of the names that, that I've sort of been instrumental in finding and, and going through the thought process of um, one of them. Sure. Let's think of a good one for you. Uh, so we're involved in this company called Enphase Energy, which makes uh, microinverters, solar power equipment for solar panels. Uh, you know, we, we looked at this, we've been in it for a while now. This was, this kind of falls in the bucket of, of turnarounds and, and, you know, distressed, uh, distressed investments that we think uh, the valuation is not given credit for, for potential improvement. And then where we see, you know, different, different management players get involved and, you know, insider, insider ownership changing stuff like that. So, you know, Enphase, they, they make these components for solar panels to, to convert the electricity. They, uh, you know, were high flying at one point. I think they were, you know, several hundred, hundred million dollar market cap. Hit hard times after 2014 uh, when, you know, oil prices collapsed and the whole renewable space sort of fell along with it. Um, so when we got involved, it was kind of circling the drain. It wasn't doing very well. Uh, and then, you know, that's that's when we'll start looking at these sorts of things, uh, you know, look at, especially cause we, we looked at who owned it and it was, I think it was, you know, Dan Loeb was in there and we saw, I think Kleiner Perkins and we, we, there was a really, uh, uh, stacked shareholder deck for, for some sort of tech company that looked like it was on its way out. So that sort of piqued our interest. Uh, then we saw, uh, TJ Roberts, who was the guy, the CEO of, um, Cyprus, he got involved, put some money in, and that that really picked 
piqued our interest because he has a, a pretty storied career um, in the technology space. And so we're like, you know, what's this guy doing looking around here? And I had actually been familiar with the name from my last role when I covered energy. Cause I remember this was probably 2012 when they had come out uh, doing, doing their IPO. And so, uh, you know, kind of that, these sorts of things add up. Right. And, you know, we, we look at so many different names uh, throughout the, throughout the days and weeks that, you know, you, you'll see something from one and you'll kind of file it away and then you'll see something else and then, Oh, maybe you'll take another look at that. But so, um, you know, we started doing more work on it. Uh, and, you know, why, why, why is this guy getting involved? Uh, what's, what's the plan here? And, you know, the company's trying to restructure, they're doing these high, high cost debt stuff. They're issuing equity. Uh, you know, they brought in a, another guy from Cyprus, but so sort of long story short, we think, man, uh, this is the, there's a good chance that this company, uh, you know, if they can, they had a great product, right? And so we thought, look, they're going to, you know, uh, basically they're, they're well represented around the world. They just couldn't get their costs under control. And so if they can bring in someone that, that's able to do that task, well, you know, the, the issue was not, hey, do people like the product? The issue is, can they make a buck while they're doing it? And so when we saw them, you know, stacking the deck with this guy, from uh, they, they brought another guy from Cyprus. They were doing a you know they brought in some consultants. It looked like there was a good chance that they could survive. Um, and so that you know we started building a position and saying hey the risk reward here uh, is pretty interesting because you know I don't the market didn't seem to be given and you know this is over a longer period of time now probably a few quarters where we're we're tracking this improvement. Uh, you know, though that sort of situation of there, you see the improvement happen in the fundamentals, and yet the market's not realizing it. And so, we we like those sorts of situations because you know, and then we saw some other investors get involved. And so, for us, it's confirmation that the work we're doing, uh, maybe we're on the right track here. And so that that's been a really good company for us. Um, you know, the first sort of phase of the recovery was are these guys going to survive to, okay, now they're going to survive. What's the upside. And so that now it's kind of pass it off to a new, a new phase of investors who look at these companies as a going concern and say, okay, what's the, what's the upside? Not, not sort of the, you know, 12 months ago doing the financial engineering to see if these guys are going to survive. So that's, that's one way we look at, at things. And, you know, I mean, I guess it really depends on what, the, the situation is, I mean, I, I'm more focused on that sort of thing, looking for these asymmetric risk reward opportunities. You know, everyone has their own style of, uh, of how they find investments. And so, you know, I'm sure if you talk to someone else at our firm, they would, they would maybe have their own, their own way of looking at things. But for me, I, I like the ones where, you know, it's uh, the, the upside potential greatly outweighs the downside potential. And so, you know, if you, if you can build a, a basket of a few of these things, you should, you should do pretty well on average. Right. And when did you guys, when did you guys identify and when did you guys start getting into this, uh, this company that you used as an example? Uh, so uh, I'd have to go back and look, I I'd say probably we didn't, we, we, we didn't catch the ultimate bottom of it. We, we were probably three to six months early. I'd have to, I'd have to pull up a, a chart to look at it, but it was, you know, it had gone from maybe, this was probably around the time that I, let's see, this is probably early 17, I'd want to say. So, you know, it, it continued to decline. You know, you never, it's, it's rare you catch the bottom of these things, but 
we thought there was enough there uh, that it was that it warranted a small position. And then, you know, as it sort of came out of that bottom and we saw the fundamentals improving, that's when we really started to press it. And, you know, it, it's been one of our, our better performing investments last year, this year. I mean, it's, it's done extremely well. Uh, in fact, you know, we probably thought originally that when it got to this this level and, it, you know, the, the survival fears were gone, that we'd be out of it and let a different kind of class of investor come in. But now, um, it, you know, talking to the company and we're a, a pretty major shareholder of it, you know, we think that there's still probably significant upside there. So we, we've owned it for, I don't know, maybe almost two years now. Um, but like I say, you know, these are not necessarily short-term investments. We, we like to find things that can, we can grow with them. And, and if that's the case, then we'll just, we'll just kind of let it sit there. Right. It looks like there's, there's at least a close to a, maybe over a 50% decline just in, in between the first part of uh, 2017 and the mid part of 2017, there's a 50% decline before the. Yeah. So like, yeah, it, it takes, um it takes, you got to have a strong stomach for some of this stuff. Right. And, you know, it was a small position at that point. Uh, we were, you know, kind of going off the fact that uh, some of the insiders owned a bunch. There's some smart invest. There were a lot of smart people making a bet that this thing wasn't going to going to die. So we thought, hey, that's that's you know that's a nice vote of confidence there. Uh, look, right. these are these are probability based situations, right? They they could have gone under. They they could have not. But we thought, look, there are a lot of people making big bets that this thing's not going to happen. They're they're pretty smart. They have good track records. Uh, it's it's worth a look. And then when it looked like the worst was past them, you know, the market only really started to wake up that, that they were getting credit for it. Um, and we were able to build a pretty nice position in it. And then sure enough, you know, if you have good, good guys operating, uh, you're going to see that momentum continue and, and it's, it's done very well since then. Well, at the performance rate that, that I'm seeing here, uh, you know, hopefully you guys have taken at least some of the original capital off and letting the rest ride. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, I mean, you know, <laughs> along the way, out, you know, because because the other thing, too, is right when you build a big position and it does something like that, it becomes you know, disproportionately weighted in your portfolio. And so, you know, and also your upside diminishes to whatever target that you originally had. So. We'll usually, you know, right. trim some of these things, and you know, we'll keep a core position if the if the thesis remains intact. But we'll we'll, we'll say, hey, thank you for the you know extra you know few points of of extra weight here, and we'll we'll put it towards some of our other ideas that are more earlier stage. Right. So so uh, give us give us uh, give us kind of the overview of the uh, you know the uranium focus. Um, you know, kind of tell us where you're looking at jurisdiction wise, you know, give us, give us some company names that you like, uh, you know, give us, give us kind of the overview of how old West looks at it. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we just launched the fund about six months ago to focus on it. Before that we had, you know, mainly our, our main exposure was, was Cameco because, you know, we were uh, this, we've owned it. Uh, that was kind of the first name that I, that I pitched when I came across, cause I'd, I'd been watching it for a while. So this was about two years ago. We got pretty lucky with timing. I mean, this was, you know, maybe October, November of, uh, 2016. So that was right when it had that kind of big dip down, um, at the end of that year. So we were able to get some pretty cheap shares. We were, we've watched it for a while since then and thought, look, this is a, we like this thesis, you know, at that time it was still probably a, a while for it to play out. So we said, this is a nice place to kind of hide out in, you know, the company's safe, it's strong. It's one of the, you know, the, the big bellwethers of the industry. Uh, we'll know, 
what's going on uh, by owning this one. And so we've owned, we own that for a few years across our different funds. Um, you know, earlier this year with the, you know, the 232 petition getting filed, we finally, you know, put a second name in, in most of the funds we got into energy fuels just because we thought, look, the U.S. exposure is probably going to um, be beneficial. We liked the mill. We liked the vanadium. We liked the capacity. They, they sort of ticked a lot of these boxes um, for adding a second name to the portfolio. And then, uh, you know, as these milestones have passed, you know, the cuts that have happened, uh, Cameco shutting down MacArthur, them going into the spot market. We said, you know, this this turn looks like it's it's probably getting, and this is you know more recently, probably middle of the year. Uh, we thought the turn looks like it's it's getting closer. So why don't we try to you know build a you know more broad based exposure here? And that was sort of the idea behind this new fund. Was look um, if this if this plays out there's going to be a lot of companies that do very well here uh what would be our best way to fully flesh out this theme you know not necessarily pick you know try to pick the best name but just say hey look how do we get exposure to uranium as a theme and so that was kind of the original idea um so our initial intent was let's let's build you know like a a basket of a broad-based exposure that gives us um, you know, that, that, that gives us exposure to this theme. Um, you know, when we looked around, it, it seemed like the the vehicles that were out there were just, you know, there were some, what we saw as flaws in their construction. You know, there was the URA, they did those that rebalancing this year where they, you know, added a bunch of other sort of ancillary services. So it was really only, I think, half um, in the uranium companies themselves. Uh, you know, there was, and then even that was, was pretty top heavy. I mean, I think they had Cameco is, is a, was a huge waiting for them. You know, there's that, there was that one in London, um, Geiger counter where, you know, it, it was looked to be more of a pure play, but at the same time, it was pretty top heavy as well. I think they had like 20% in next gen or they still do. So we thought, well, why don't we just kind of build our own, right? Uh, you know, there's no, of course. What what would be the what would be the ETF that we would want to own? We have this new you know we can we can essentially do it ourselves. And so, you know, it was at, at the time it was okay. Let's well who, who what should be in this right? And and we weren't really trying to you know nitpick too much about individual companies at the time. It was just let's see you know who's got you know resource kind of the naive pounds in the ground sort of thing where, you know, we went through the UXC annual report and they had, you know, hundreds of companies. Okay, which ones of these are publicly traded? Uh, which ones of these, you know, have measured resource? Which ones of these are pure plays? And you start, you know, narrowing it down iteratively and you get to, you know, a group of the, call it 20 to 40 names that, that, that most people are familiar with. Uh, and we said, okay, let's, let's, let's kind of take a small portion of the fund and just build like an equal weight ETF, you know, almost like a like a, an index fund. Um, and that was really the, the the first idea was okay. Here's our broad based exposure. Um, you know, and look, some of those companies are going to be duds. Some are going to be really well, but do really well. But you know, we know that all these guys sort of have passed these initial cutoff filters, and so it's a nice broad based exposure uh, for anyone looking at uranium and then we thought okay that's our first start we'll keep this sort of block of cash and then over time 
you know, do deep dives in all these companies and then try to tilt it, uh, you know, by, by selectively increasing the weights in ones we think were, were better companies. So over time, you have kind of the cream rising to the top. But we still keep a roughly, you know, equalish weight on these things because we don't really want to have uh, like a too top heavy of a construction because, you know, there's these sort of, a, you know, maybe like uh, one of these companies has problems with their mine, you know, like Cigar Lake flooded. You know, you saw what happened with Berkeley. They got a, their, their permit uh, yanked or whatever. So we didn't want to have too heavy of weighting into any one name, but we wanted to still, you know, have kind of the cream rise to the top and then uh, roughly equal weight down from there, you know, give or take a percent or two. So, um, and so that was really where it was. And, and then I guess within that, um, you know, you say kind of areas, we really were looking naturally at the places that had the uranium. So we have a, you know, a bunch of the Athabasca developers, you know, Africa, Australia, uh, the U.S., of course, and then, you know, there's a small bucket that's kind of the, the other bucket, which is, you know, maybe some of these um, deposits that are in non-traditional uranium jurisdictions that, you know, maybe might be a nice, nice option where we'll, we'll keep a smaller position, but, you know, they, they still, they have something. So maybe, maybe it ends up working out in the future. So that's kind of how we originally thought about it. Right. And, you know, going back to some of the other stuff you said earlier, <clears throat> You know the URA is a joke. It's 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 garbage. So that that's that you just chuck that out. And the thing is for you guys is and really for anybody. I mean, why you already have management fees at Old West. There's already costs of of operating the business there. You know why would you why would you go into an ETF that's poorly structured or why would you you know uh, again why would you buy another fund who also has a layer of administration fees and and costs GNA costs associated with a fund. Uh, why not just look at the holdings and, and take a look at what other people are doing, look at some research like you guys have done, and formulate your own basket. I mean, it makes complete sense. Why would you pay double the G&A yep. when you don't have to? <laughs> yeah, and so, then that was kind of the idea was, okay, uh, what would what would the ideal ETF look like? You know, and, I, you know, you see, uh, so we probably wouldn't have bought those. I think, you know, we, we maybe would have constructed our whole way, but we, we saw the flaws in each of these. And, you know, it's sad too, because you, you look at some of these people, uh, you know, like you go on Twitter or something and you, and you look at people looking into uranium, and they say, well, you know, why has the price gone up, but, but URA has gone down. And you're like, well, you know, have you looked at URA? I mean, what, look, what's going on there? I mean, you're owning some, construction companies and so yeah i think it gave us the opportunity to sort of cherry pick what we thought were some of the best companies and then you know over time as we incorporate new information we can selectively build these weightings uh you know as the market gives us opportunities right no and it's you got to look you got to look at all this you got to take a look at the jurisdictions you got to look at what countries really do have actually uranium uh, framework for for exporting uranium and so forth. I mean, there's just a couple in Africa that have that. There's uh, you know more or less uh, as far as companies in in Central and South America or these countries uh, here. Uh, literally uh, just off the top of my head, I don't think there's any. Maybe maybe a Brazil might have it, but I think some of these have controls. Like for example, Mexico has uh, controls as as the uh, extraction is only done by the government more or less. Um, so, you know, you got to look at these, these jurisdictions, which ones have a potential to, uh, to change something. Um, and there's, there's a number out there. And then also along with the, 
those kind of jurisdictional speculations about, you know, can they do it for the first time in, in this country? You know, then you have the court cases like the Virginia Uraniums. I mean, yeah, Virginia yeah. is a very, very small, very small, tiny company, very small market cap. And and it's all weighted on a, on a court case in the Supreme Court and dealing with the state courts. And, uh, you know, there's some there were some interesting insights there uh, talking to uh, to Walter. And uh, so it's 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 interesting how you how you might treat that, because Virginia Energy in a positive uh, scenario, which, quite honestly, <clears throat> with a positive ET, uh, EPA head, positive Department of uh, Energy, positive NRC, a positive uh, administration overall and a positive maybe a positive view from the Supreme Court. Um, you know, that company could have one of its best chances during this cycle to possibly do something. And even if it doesn't get there, that stock in a cycle, in a bull cycle, uh, will probably still move. So it's it's interesting how you might position for some of these things and how you might speculate on some of these crazier. Yeah, well, because, I mean, the, the pounds will still be there. Uh, so, you know, you got to think, you know, eventually something's going to have to happen there, uh, whether it's uh, eminent domain or whether they, they get a new governor. But I think, you know, going back to the earlier point, that that's really why we want this broad based exposure across these different regions, because they all have their, their puts and takes. Right. I mean, you know, Athabasca has got the really high grade, the low cost, but, you know, it might take five or 10 years to get one of these things developed where, you know, the Africans, yeah, it's it's higher cost, but I mean, some of these things are ready to go. So ironically, you know, it might be the Africans that, that get the that get the first nod because they're just they're just waiting for the price. And if you're a utility that really needs the pounds, you might say, all right, you know, well, you know, what, what was, um, you know, that was a, a really good interview you had with Goviex. I mean, you're thinking, look, it's it, we'll go at 50. You know, we're, we're trying to rejigger some things to maybe get a little lower than that. But it's it sounds like it's, it's pretty ready to go. So, you know, you, even if if you're a utility, you can't really go to, you know, next gen or Denison and say, okay, you know, give me some pounds in a few years. They're like, well, look, I, I know it's cheap, but you're going to have to wait till we go through the process. And so, you know, I thought that interview you did with, with, um, with John at deep yellow and Dustin, that was great. I mean, you know, he gave his, his reasons why they, they, he likes being in Namibia and, you know, obviously Daniel at, at Goviak said the same thing is, these guys that's a big part of their economy so they're very pragmatic about their about their permitting about their regulatory environment they're like let's let's get this thing done so really it, it sounds like if, if you had to choose between two projects one that uh you know is uh, ready to go but it's a higher price uh and one that's you know ex extremely low cost but it's going to take years and years well, if you need the pounds, it's, it's going to be the higher price project that's going to go, at least in our opinion. And so, in fact, the, the Athabasca guys might benefit from that because if it is the higher price projects that are able to bring on the near term pounds, well, all of a sudden their projects just got a lot more valuable because, you know, sort of that price clearing function was set by someone on a different continent uh, because they were ready to go. So, you know, and then you have kind of the U.S. guys that, that fall somewhere in the middle of that. And, you know, it's an interesting um, conversation you had with with Walter. Uh, he seems to be extremely optimistic about the about the 232 petition and, uh, you know, the potential for, I guess, a two tiered price, maybe if, if all of a sudden the, you know, the U.S. guys are, are forced into production. And so, look, we own, you know, we own names in all of those areas. I mean, we think that they all have their benefits. Uh, you know, certain ones are going to do better at certain times. Uh, and that's why we think, you know, it, it, 
rather than try to pick, okay, who's going to be the best guy in this cycle? We'll say, look, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to, a lot of these names are going to do extremely well. And that, that's just on their own merits. I mean, let's not talk about if some, you know, money starts flowing into the space. I mean, like you said, Virginia is a tiny company. Good luck trying to buy that thing, right? I mean, it's the bid ask spread is, is huge on this thing. And so, you know, you look at, I think it traded, you know, like 60 bucks yesterday. It was crazy, right? So um, a lot of these things, uh, if, if there is real genuine investor interest that comes into this space, there's going to be a significant revaluation, I, I, I think, across the space. And so that's why, you know, look, uh, some of these things are probably duds. They might not get dug up. And so that's why, you know, our positions and some of the ones are, are almost more like options, right? I mean, we have a small position in Virginia. We have a small position in some of these more non-traditional jurisdictions. That's not the heart of our portfolio because we think, you know, uh, sure, they have extremely cheap pounds in the ground, but that's, you know, not all pounds are created equal, right? And so I think, um, you know, maybe that's in a sort of speculative frenzy, these things will get bid up. But really, I mean, there's there's probably only a handful of them, at least in the near term, that are going to be turned into cash flow. Uh, it sounds like the Africans are the are the nearest to, to, to the green light. Maybe the U.S., um, you know, gets sped up if there is some positive 232 momentum. But, um, you know, I, it, it's hard to really say. But and so that's why. We just kind of sit back and, you know, going back to our earlier in the conversation where we talk about, you know, having these things that are convertible to cash in a downturn, you know, we, you accumulate these positions over time and, you know, on any given day, some are up, some are down. Uh, if we have a value estimate that's much higher than the current level, well, you know, we can accumulate these over time. And if, if one wants to go on sale, hey, well, okay, we'll take some of that today if, if, if our value is still much higher. And, you know, that way we can be a little more flexible uh, you know, keeping in mind that we have this sort of uh, list in our mind of how, you know, how these things should be ranked. Um, and, and we just, we go that way, you know, and then it's a new fund. So every month, you know, new funds will come in, it'll, that cash infusion will sort of dilute our weightings, and then we can selectively rebuild, you know, whatever kind of is top of mind at that point, back up to kind of the level we think it should be. Sure. And, you know, the thing is, is you do have, a number of different considerations. I mean, yeah, sure. Even even the clowns of the sector will will do uh, pretty well in comparison to other other types of investments. So even even the it's just like if you look at you know the the rage that went on in the cryptocurrency space. Even even and most of them are fakers anyway. But look how they still went up. Yeah. So there is there's a piece of that that there there's an aspect of that that will flow here just because of the sheer smallness of the sector and and such few selection. And then also, you know, um, some of the New York listed companies or even really the ones that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to see flows go there. You know, your energy fuels, your your energies, your uh, uranium energy corps. I mean, funds will flow there regardless of what I think about the companies. Funds are still going to flow there because it's an NYSE listed equity, um, you know, and so it's going to. Yeah, well, I, I just had this chat with someone the other day is, you know, certain companies, you know, won't name any names are are uh, considered more promotional than others or, you know, they're kind of doing the, the dog and pony show circuit and, and drumming up business. And uh, yeah, I guess in sort of the short term, that's maybe bad if they do more dilution than the others and the, and the stock price reflects that. But 
you know, if there is this sort of general investor move towards the space, ironically, those that are the most visible might do the best, you, even if even if their assets don't support that, right? And and you can actually see that uh, in the liquidity of the names. I mean, look at the sort of the, I guess the dollar volume that trades in some of these names. It's not necessarily proportional to the quality of their company, right? And so Correct. if you know. And I, I made the joke, if you have uranium in your name, I mean, imagine if there is, you know, the, the, the stock does do somewhat of a repeat of last cycle and this thing goes parabolic. Well, you're going to have these guys pull up their iPhone and go on their stock app or go on, you know, Robinhood and type in uranium. I mean, who's going to pop up, right? I mean, not everyone's doing the sort of due diligence that, you know, the people in this that are really focused on this are doing or, you know, the guys that you have on uh, your interviews. And so I think, uh, and, and even now it doesn't seem like, you know, there, there is a, there, the investor sentiment appears to be improving and, and awareness appears to be improving. But, you know, I was just talking to a group yesterday and, and their response was, okay, that all sounds great, but why isn't anyone talking about this? Why isn't this, you know, if this is so great, like, why isn't it going? And I, you know, I'm like, well, I don't really have an answer that I think they will, you know, I, I think there will be a time and, you know, six to 12 months where this thing's on fast money and, you know, these talking heads are talking about it. They're not probably going to be in there early. You know, a lot of times the sell side, the thing doubles or triples, and then all of a sudden they come out and initiate on it and say, oh, you know, here, it's going to go up 30% or whatever. Uh, they don't maybe want the career risk to try to put the flag in the sand and say, hey, this thing looks interesting. There are some guys that are out there that are doing it. And, and usually, you know, I, I think it has to do with the fact that a lot of these companies are so small, they are uninvestable from institutions. I mean, unless you, they're, you know, they have these smaller niche funds, there are, there just aren't that many options for this. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do Buy Cameco by next gen, you know, some of these names that, sure. you know, have uh, bigger market caps, like who's going to go, who, who's going to be buying, you know, Virginia energy or, or some of these little explorers up in Athabasca. But that said, I mean, we think some of these are very interesting because, you know, maybe, yeah, either you have a, a large resource that's trading it, you know, that's could be ready to go and it's just waiting on a price. So it's kind of an out of the money option. Or you have some of these explorers up in Athabasca where they have great land packages. They might be near big discoveries. They might have big discoveries themselves. And yet they're trading it, you know, these, these minuscule valuations. Uh, that seems like it's going to change in a big way uh, if this plays out like we think it will. And so you know, we're happy to just kind of sit and wait, you know, I mean, patience is tough. Uh, our investors, uh, they know that it's going to take maybe a, a year, a few years to play out. But, you know, if if we're right about the return potential for some of these names, uh, the, the the time horizon, all that does is adjust your IRR, right? I mean, if, you know, but if, if you think a, a company can double, well, even if it takes two years, you're at, you know, what, 40% or something, if it's three years, you're, you know, whatever that is, 20%-ish, uh, that'll take care of itself. And so really the question is, can you identify the companies that do have that return potential? Because then, you know, it's almost that venture capital mentality where you build a basket of these things. If you do, if you are able to include in that subset, some of these names that have significant, you know, extraordinary upside potential, well, that's really going to make up for a lot of the names that that don't do poorly. But we think, you know, a lot of the names are going to do well. So overall, the right. basket should should do extremely well compared to, 
you know, any other sort of investment, um, you know, a group of group of names or any other sector. And so that's why, you know, we're really excited about it and think it, it, it's, it's worth the time, you know, and for your listeners, you know, listen to some of these, these CEOs you're talking to and some of these old hands in the industry. I mean, it's, it's really valuable information. You know, I, I, I love, like I said, I was just listening to the one before we, we jumped on the call. So I think it's, it's great what you're doing. And I have a feeling, you know, roll down the road a year or so, a lot of people are going to be like, man, I can't believe these things, what they were trading for back then. Uh, this is, this is just crazy. Right. No. And, and, you know, with, uh, <clears throat> you know, people need to, we've, we've all got a bunch of time on our hands right now in, in relation to the context of time for this cycle to play out. And so as, as time goes on, more research is done, more due diligence is done, more, you get to see what the actors and the management teams and these companies are doing during these times. Um, you get to see what their costs are. You get to see what GNA is. So, so for the people who the investors and speculators in this space, you have time to take a look at: Do I do I agree with what this company is doing? And is there is there better opportunities as you continue to spend time doing research and trying to maximize that potential upside? And uh, so, you know, it's it's really on really on the investor and speculator to to make those decisions and put in that time and and you know. Uh, perhaps uh, there's a good chance that those who put in a, a significant amount of time uh, really figuring out the space might actually uh, do some outperforming. And, you know, the other part of that is too, uh, Brian is, you know, you have, you have the companies that actually there's a real desire with some managements to actually pr make a company an operating business that has cash flows that actually wants to actually make a mining company that will actually have an impact on the market. You have some that want to develop. They're not. They're not mine builders. They're not mine operators. You have some that are discoverers and and folks that will delineate an asset or a deposit somewhere in the world, and they'll look to uh, to hopefully sell it. Uh, you can refer to the the last cycle. There was there were some pretty high profile sales that were quite uh, impressive yeah. uh, that happened. So there's the folks out there. There's people that are geared in that direction. There's people that are geared to making a company. That is not just focused in Africa, not just focused in the Athabasca Basin, not just focused in the U.S. I think maybe this time around when things start going, there may be a couple select companies, a couple select people that may desire to make a pipeline of projects, may find a project, find, have a mine that actually goes to operation, produces cash flow, but at the same time might be punching holes in Australia, might be punching holes in, in Canada might be doing something in the US. So they're expanding and creating a pipeline. They're creating a multi, you know, jurisdictional uh, company um, with different contexts of time. You know, for example, like you said, in Africa, you can, uh, you, you can do something in Africa, you might be able to get something started earlier to take advantage of maybe earlier times. And then with that, you might also have a Canadian asset that might be in permitting that's going to take five years or, you know, maybe take longer. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, the fissions and the next gens and so forth. I mean, it's great. Things have been discovered. That's already happened. That stage has happened. So discovery is over with. Now you're looking at financing. You're looking at long-term yep. permitting. You're looking at infrastructure. You're looking at all these development challenges. And, uh, you know, that's, that's reflected in the share prices. That's reflected where they are yep. at this stage in the game. And so you have to look at, hey, do I want to get involved with maybe some development stories? Do I want to get involved with some folks that are kind of, 
at, at the early stage area, but they can, because of the jurisdiction, go rapidly to potentially a project, building a project and actually producing something within the cycle. Uh, and then do I look at the folks like the energy fuels or maybe maybe the old the old Paladin that's in care and maintenance folks yeah. that have infrastructure in place, maybe that uh, can turn on and, and actually get some cash flowing quite quickly. So you have to identify, and then there's just the wild speculations as well, which we've already kind of touched on a couple. So mm-hmm. you have all of those realms and all of those pieces, including including New York, you know, the where, where are the listings at? Where, you know, what's that status? Yeah. How's that going to work? And so you have all that that plays into it. And, and do you have a piece, do you have kind of all the different pieces of pie? Do you have the kind of the pumpkin, the cherry and the cheesecake? Do you have all of those pieces uh, kind of on your plate? Well, and that's uh, you, you've essentially nailed it. Well, that's exactly the way we think about it and think that, you know, uh, different, different of those risk factors, those buckets will be, uh, valued by the market in different ways, you know, um, and it might come in waves uh, as certain parts of it come in vogue or depending on what happens with the, with the price, depending on what happens with long-term contracting, uh, you know, whether certain jurisdictions come in and out of favor. But that's why we like this broad-based approach because we can sort of kind of cherry pick what are the best uh, names for each of those risks that that each of those you know risk buckets and and then hopefully that that whole pie has a nice uh you know average return because you know we're not sure which one of these things is going to be the next paladin which one's going to you know guys will debate it all the time but i i think there's a you know taking this portfolio approach where we have all those different components uh it should give the you know at least our investors it should give them uh, uh, comfort knowing that they have that whole spectrum of exposure. And so, you know, who knows, maybe it might be one of these little rinky dink explorers that has the biggest move. Maybe it might be the guys that are able to go into cash flow and do that multi-jurisdiction one. Maybe it'll be a U.S. guy because all of a sudden we have two tiered pricing and, you know, uh, energy fuels having the mill is, it, it goes through the roof. Or maybe it's because of the vanadium, you know, or, or who knows, right? But all we know is that all of these things are sort of fit together into this puzzle. And we like the fact that we can, you know, kind of have this broad-based uh, portfolio of them. And then as news comes out, as the situation develops, we can kind of tilt it one way or the other and steer it uh, as, as the you know, prospects of these different companies either improve or, or decline. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting names in the space. Uh, it'll, it remains to be seen what uh, investors demand. I think, you know, the guys that are the closest to cash flow, um, you know, maybe some of them are higher cost. The guys that, uh, you know, are the lower cost, it, it might take them a long time. And so it, what is, what is the... In, you know how do will valuations shake out of that and and really it's it's hard to say because it's going to depend on a lot of these sort of outside factors uh getting resolved um we're happy to to sort of you know own this basket of them and and, and let and you know just kind of sit back and watch how it plays out right no absolutely and uh it'll be certainly uh interesting to take the time between when that actually plays out and now and and kind of refining the portfolio considering what what the broad market 
will do and how it might affect these uh, little uranium equities and how, how one might go about, you know, accumulation during a broad market sell-off event. Um, it, it really is a, kind of an interesting set of timings um, that we have going with us, and uh, it'll kind of be interesting to see how it plays out and see how these management teams manage their capital that, that investors uh, give to them and, and how they spend it. And uh, Yeah, and that actually how, brings up another point is, you know, you, you had talked about, these companies that say, okay, I, I want to, you know, some are just project generators and I, I want to flip my deposit if I find one. And there are other guys that want to actually, you know, I want to develop mines and maybe not just one. I may, maybe want to have a, a multi-mine portfolio across different jurisdictions. I think, you know, the conversation you had with, with Dustin a, a while back about just are is there enough expertise in the industry for all of these companies to develop? I mean, he, he seemed to suggest no, that uh, you there's going to either need to be consolidation or some of these things are just going to sit fallow because there's just not enough people that can develop mines. And so that was a really interesting and, and got us thinking about the different names we own is, you know, some of these companies that might claim that they're going to be a developer well, you know, can they, you know, is, is that really possible or, or are they going to need to, to put it in someone else's hands? You know, who, who's going to end up developing the Athabasca Basin? And, you know, are, are these individual teams going to build mines or, you know, is Cameco going to come in and these are just, you know, explorers sort of developing Cameco's future projects, you know, what's going to happen in Africa? Uh, you know, it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, John at Deep Yellow is 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 set on on developing. It sounds like uh, Daniel Major Govex is is set on developing. But you know what what's going to happen with Paladin, right? You just saw the Chinese come and take out Rossing. Uh, they have a pretty big toehold in Paladin. You know, do they take the rest of it? Uh, do, you know, they've come on record saying they need to build a lot of resource. They do own stakes in a lot of these companies. Uh, you know, do they end up swallowing up the industry? They're having trouble developing Husab. I, I thought that was a very telling comment that, uh, you know, 7 million pounds might be the new number for that versus what was the name played originally, I think 15. So, you know, there's challenges. Uh, they're trying to get it done. And then, you know, does, does, what does Namibia say when all of a sudden China owns all the projects, right? So there's a lot of these, you know, other kind of wrinkles to the puzzle, uh, which makes it difficult to really pinpoint prospectively who's going to be the best guy, who's going to, you know, if I had to pick one name, what, you know, and that for, for us, I don't know if we really want to play that game because you could do all this work and, you know, you know, everything and you're, you know, all the, all the geotechnical and all the costs and the financing, and then you get hit with, you know, some, some permit thing, or you get hit with, uh, a, a mine problem and all of a sudden you know you put all your eggs in one basket and, and the basket broke so we think you know there are a lot of companies that are good here they're they're in different parts of the risk spectrum uh, as a whole it's probably gonna well, at least for us it, it makes us the most comfortable yeah and you got to have a structured approach to it you can't you really can and and uh you know you just don't there there's oh there's un, unknown things that can happen you know whether it's a a management, a management issue, or a you know, a, someone who can't run a mine, or hey, we need, we've got a uranium bear market here, and uh, we need to raise a billion three uh, to build this project. Um, you know, the permitting aspects. Uh, do you have the expertise to deal with the community outreach and uh, these different uh, 
parties involved, you know, the community outreach and the jurisdictional issues and the permitting issues and dealing with, uh, you know, various, you know, agencies at the local levels and state and federal levels uh, in different countries, uh, different political figures taken over. I mean, example, you know, look at, look at Peru. Uh, Peru has different political mm-hmm. figures uh, taking office there. And so it's, and so it's, it's difficult. And then also too, you just never know, maybe, maybe management, you know, are they, are they healthy or, or, you know, has there been a plane accident? You know, these things uh, can, can occur and which could immediately change overnight the thesis. So you do need to have uh, a structured approach um, and you need to look at the different realms of the, of the spectrum, you know, whether you're looking at lower risk to the higher risk speculation style stuff. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to play into it. And the cool thing is we've got time to kind of run through yep. that and, and, and consider that why we're kind of waiting here. Um, so, so tell, uh, we're getting up on time. So tell, uh, us, uh, you know, how, how can, uh, potential investors that are interested in, in old West, uh, how can they reach out to you? Yeah. So we're set up as a partnership, uh, it's for accredited investors. You can find our information online. It's just old West investment management. Um, and, yeah, we're always happy to talk with, uh, you know, current and potential investors about what, the different names we own, our, our our process and philosophy. If you're, you know, in L.A., you can come stop by and, and meet with us. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're pretty accessible. You know, I, I usually answer my emails and my phone. So, and look, I, I love talking about this. I, this stuff fascinates me. You know, I just love learning about it. You know, my, my wife probably a little upset because I, you know, <laughs> spend all day, you know, scrolling through Twitter and reading, you know, the, the Namibian Times and all this stuff. But I, uh, you know, it's to me, I think this is a really exciting opportunity. Sure, it's going to take time to play out. But I think that 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 uh, benefits us as investors because we are able to, to, to do the detailed work. We are able to, you know, build positions in these companies. And then, you know, hopefully a few years down the road, really appreciate the fruits of our labor. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm in a similar boat, you know, whether it's running 14, 16, 18 hours, you know, a day, uh, certainly other other parties, uh, you know, at the office and at the the household can get uh, a little bit uh, aggravated at me as well. (laughs) And uh, yeah, no, it'll be certainly be interesting. And I I certainly encourage uh, listeners to take a look at your guys's website and, and kind of what you guys are doing, because there is very few uh, funds that at least we've come across. We're trying to seek out some more, but there's very few that are uh, actually looking pretty hard at this space. And it's certainly the early bird is, is coming on. And and hopefully, uh, you know, five five years from now or whatever it might be, uh, you know, uh, maybe everybody can hook up on Sunset Boulevard and, and have a good time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and they can reach out to me. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. I don't really tweet, but I'm, I'm pretty good about, uh, you know, answering my uh, messages or, you know, on LinkedIn, you know, I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening, probably I've followed them because, you know, it's one of the, the best ways to, to get information. I mean, it's surprising that there's some, you know, good, uh, solid analysis that, that goes on on that platform and this committed group of investors, uh, you know, and you can't always find it by just looking at hashtag uranium. So I, I've just been following anyone who's, you know, participating in the conversation because you never know when they're going to like an article or, 
you know, respond to, to, to something and, and you get kind of a nice little a tidbit of information. So they can always reach out to me uh, on one of those things. And I'm, I'm happy to chat because, you know, I, look, I'm still learning about this stuff, too. I, you know, I, I think uh, anyone will, that tells you they're an expert, you know, everyone's just just, you know, there's there's so much to learn. You know, there's there's so much that goes into all these different companies and, you know, what, what, the quality of their assets, the, the structure, of their financing, the, the management, you know, it's just it's a, it's a continual learning experience. I think, um, you know, the, luckily for us, the stocks, I mean, some of them have started to respond, but they're still pretty much depressed uh, uh, given the, the improvement in fundamentals that we've seen. Uh, with with kind of these these catalysts that have occurred, so I think there's still time uh, for investors to to do the work and to understand. And you know, I'm happy to be uh, whatever resource I can be if 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 people want to you know talk about it. And so you know, and and look, I, I've actually been pleasantly surprised that, like you said, uh, you know, I heard a Dustin talk in the interview and kind of reached out to him, and we had a great conversation. I, I think you know maybe <laughs> maybe these people have just you know been so. Uh, they're so beleaguered with this industry that they're happy that fi- finally there's some new interest in it and you know they're happy to talk but right. uh you know i thought your your conversation with with mike was great and he said look these these old geologists these guys have been in the industry for decades i mean they're it's just what great valuable information they know these projects they know the histories you know and you you really get a good insight and that's why I, you know I, I i like and i reached out to you for that the Virginia interview and when you were asking for questions is uh, what you're doing, I think is a great service to investors. They should listen to the interviews that you've done, you know, the, the long format, the good questions, you really pick up a lot of good stuff. And I think, you know, for, for anyone that's committed to this space that wants to learn more about it, uh, that's a, that's a great way to go about it. Right. And, and for us, you know, we, we do these interviews that actually cost us money. We're the ones who are paying for the services. We're paying for the, the recordings. We're paying for the technical back down on the, on the backside here. So we actually bring these companies on. We pay to have them come on and they don't give us anything. So what we try to do is we try to find the Dustins. You know, we try to reach out, even though it might have took, you know, many phone calls, many emails and many tri- types of communication methods to try to get a hold of some of these folks. But you know, Dustin, Dustin came out as a thanks to John at Deep Yellow. Uh, had it not been for John, uh, the relationship with Dustin may have not come apart, you know, come, come to us. And, uh, you know, that's, that's important to find the folks that have the integrity and the credibility is what we're trying to seek out. We're not trying to seek out the scripted promotions. Um, absolutely not. We, we would rather. Yeah. And you can get that anywhere. I mean, just go to a conference or go look at a, you know, presentation. So that's why I think having those sort of resources that are, you know, more off the beaten path or that they have the experience. And, you know, I actually, one of the things I like is when you ask the CEOs of these guys, you know, what, other company do they like that that's a really good question you know what's you know what's your second favorite uranium company because that then you get a really interesting view uh of how they view the landscape of how they view management teams and assets and you know what's going to get developed what's not going to get developed so you know that's one way to go about it and then i think you know having all these guests i mean it's it, you're going to build this repository uh eventually that's going to help you when you go approach new ones and say hey look look at all the guys that have come on here you know, we've had good conversations, look at the investor response. So, you know, it's, it should snowball from there. And, um, you know, Hey, I'll I'll be, I'll be a listener. I I look forward to all these, all these things. 
So, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, know that we appreciate what, what you guys have been doing. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll keep them, we'll keep them coming. You know, it's just kind of a push here just out of the gate, you know, we're doing a lot right now. It seems like we're doing one almost every day, but we'll, <laughs> we'll slow down. And the goal was to kind of cover some of the companies uh, and, and not all of them we agree with a hundred percent. We're bringing them on to discuss things with them. We're trying to get what the viewpoint is today versus when we first found them. Um, and, and we're trying to twist their arms with some tough questions and, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're just trying to get more information and trying to supplement our research and, uh, also provide some entertainment, uh, and, and a little bit of wisdom and knowledge for, for the folks who are listening. And so that's, that's kind of the goal here. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can find some value, uh, added at the end of the end of the day. And, uh, so that's kind of how we're approaching it. So, so Brian, um, we appreciate you coming on and, and we look forward to having you back again soon. Well, thank you so much.